Good evening. On Sunday nights, we are studying and talking about God's amazing grace, where we're really looking at grace manifest through the pages of Scripture, the stories and the people, and so forth. Tonight, we're in the book of Psalms, and as we begin tonight, I want to make to you a confession. And the confession is that I stand before you as a firm believer in Jesus Christ with an addiction to waffle fries and control issues. Now, I love our Celebrate Recovery ministry because it is so good in continually bringing back to that point that you can be a firm believer in Jesus Christ and still have stuff you're working through. Still have stuff you're working on. And it's so been so good for Northside, and it's good for us as believers to understand that we're in a process of being transformed. Particularly if you are a person with control issues, tonight's lesson is for you. The only true um, good side to having control issues is that you get stuff done. You want things to happen, and you're going to make things happen, whether people come with you or not. It's going to happen. But the downside is that we trust almost no one. I don't know where that comes from, but it's an issue i got to work on. It's been a hard one. I remember back in grade school, middle school, even high school, when those wonderful teachers would say, okay, class, we're going to do a class project. And what we're going to do is put you all in teams. I hated that. I hated putting my grade and my GPA in someone else's hands. If you got control issues, you probably can identify. If you got trust issues, you know what I'm talking about. To keep me from becoming conceited over these increasingly great revelations, God provided to me a mirror, a miniature version of me, a smaller version of me with his own set of control issues. Christy will tell you it is absolute hilarity whenever any time Tyler and I try to do something together. It's nearly impossible. I don't care whether you're trying to talk about mowing the lawn. I don't care if it's, if it's uh, pumping gas and putting it in the car. If it's any number of things, and especially now that he's a teenager, I often get the roll of the eyes and, Dad, just let me do it. To which I reply, I am, but I want you to do it correctly. Now, in the Bible, there are, there, believe it or not, there are biblical control freaks. There are people within the pages of Scripture who have control issues. And didn't always work out so well. Sarah, Abram's wife, was a biblical control freak. She said, I, I, want, I believe God's going to do it, but he's not going to do it on my timeline. So let me just take matters in my own hand. Hagar, will you come in here? Didn't work out very well. King Saul... Had a couple of control issues. Of course, kings have that. But he, he wanted to do things on his time. He wanted to do things that he wasn't allowed to do. And he wasn't patient enough to wait upon the Lord. Even Peter. Peter. 
had the gall to come up to the Son of God and said, Never, Lord. Never. It will never happen to you. So I only share all that to say, if, if you have control issues, you have trust issues, you're in good company. The Scripture is very honest about those people and their issues. Matthew, I think it's chapter 11, verse 3. You don't turn there because it won't be our key text tonight. But it's a verse I have in my personal Bible highlighted because it's a reminder, of, and it's, of course, way out of context. But in one of the translations, Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, is a question from John the Baptist to Jesus the Messiah. And it is this. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? One translation says, are you the Messiah, or should we expect another? And I have that verse highlighted in mind to remind myself that there is someone else besides me that the pressures of the church is upon. The the work of the, the king and his kingdom is going to continue beyond me and beyond any of us control freaks. We're not the Messiah. We're not the one who's to come. If you're a person with control issues, turn to Psalm chapter 23. And the rest of you, turn to Psalm 23. We're going to read tonight this short but powerful and well-known psalm that was written for us and to us. A psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a beautiful picture. And some some parts of it we miss because we don't live as much in this agricultural society in our world. Shepherds aren't as common. There are shepherds, but not as many of them, and they don't serve not as often. The Bible times is very different. The shepherd was the first human occupation that we read of. Besides Adam, I guess he would have technically been a gardener. But his son Abel was a shepherd. He, Abel, tended the flocks. The book of Genesis tells us. And there were many shepherds throughout the story of God's people. Abram, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, uh, Moses, all of them had experience in corralling, tending, providing for, taking care of the sheep. I think there's a reason, certainly, that God had certain, uh, some of those men experience with that because there are so many leadership lessons that come in leading sheep that are similar when you're leading people. May we not forget that God is our shepherd. Uh, the, the shepherd was accountable. He literally, I mean, literally count, did the counting of each head of the sheep as they went out into the pasture and as they came back in that night to the sheep pen through the sheep gate. 
He knew each one, and they knew him. They knew him by his voice. Uh, there's several videos that we didn't take the time to share with you, but of, of shepherds, even modern-day shepherds, who the shepherds can call out to them in a the pasture, and their sheep, that shepherd's sheep, come to him because they know his voice. He knows them, and they know him. And his job was to protect, not just provide the sheep for the sheep and get them where it needed to be, but to protect them even at risk of his own life. To protect them from the lion and the bear, protect them from any that would prey on them. And there's lots of animals that would prey on the sheep. From this psalm, we get one of the most powerful and poignant names of God. Yahweh Roi. Yahweh Roi, which means the one true shepherd. He is not just a shepherd, he's the good shepherd. He's a, it's a beautiful metaphor all the way around for one who guides, leads, protects, cares for, and watches over the sheep. He is the one who is trusted above all others. And so you can trust him. Sheep can trust the good shepherd. We can trust him fully. Even if you have control issues, even if trusting other people is hard because they don't do it your way, there's one who does things, and he is not going to do it your way. And yet you can still trust him. Isn't that good? So we're going to talk about that tonight. You can trust him to do three things. First, you can trust him to provide. Psalm 23, 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Some translations say, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Because he's the shepherd, you are his. You are his. And you matter to him. This morning, as I, along with other parents, have the annual tradition of, of hauling luggage and, and doing the last-minute check, did you get this, did you get that, and, and giving them a hug and praying with them and watching them get on the bus and head up the mountain is an endeavor in trust. Now, I love all of this group, but there's only one that my heart is deeply concerned with. Why is that? Because I'm playing favorites? Well, yeah, because he's mine. When when the Lord, Yahweh Roi, is expressed as the one true shepherd, and you are called a sheep, it's a sentiment that's not meant to belittle you. It's meant to remind you of how good he is, that you are his, that his mind is on you. And that his heart is on you. That he wants what's for your best, even if you don't fully understand. Oh, sheep don't often understand the ways of the shepherd. But you can trust him. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Because this, this picture from the prophet Isaiah, I think, helps us understand it a little more. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 through 12. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, 
and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Oh, this is powerful. You, you get the power and the might, the mighty arm of God. You, you get the, the wisdom, the, the, who's measured the world and the universe and the mountains and the dust of the earth. And you get a, a sense of the size of God and the might of God and the power of God. And tucked right there in the middle is this comparison to a shepherd, which gets us to the heart of God. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. It's not just the fact that he's powerful and mighty and and, and all-powerful and all-knowing. He is all of those things, to be sure. But tucked within that power and that might and that glory is a tender shepherd who gently leads, who cares for the sheep. He provides you everything you need, this Psalm 23 says. <clears throat> he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I have visited many a hospital room. Many a nursing home, many a rehab facility. And sometimes folks that you visit sort of have the attitude that they really don't have time to be here. They really have so many other things. And they almost seem like I'm bothered by being there. Say, oh, you have so many other people to worry about. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Maybe. But maybe, maybe you're experiencing the shepherd here. The first thing we learn about the shepherd is that when you follow him, you, you shall not want or you shall, you shall lack nothing. But how? How does he do that? First, he makes me... Lie down to rest. I think there are some of us who have a hard time experiencing the rest of God. And seeing that as a holy thing. There are seven days to creation and God Almighty himself took one of those days off. So who are you to think, I don't really need one. And you push yourself and you push and you go and you go and you work. And, and you build up that pride because of who you are and how hard you work. And I'm not belittling hard work. I'm saying one of the things that the good shepherd does 
is makes you lie down. Maybe a month ago, I took three solid weeks off. And you better believe I heard some of the comments. Oh, must be nice. I never got it. I make no apologies. I'll take more time off. And I'll enjoy it. Not because I'm trying to take advantage. But because you need to understand, even your preacher needs rest. And there will be times when I'll say, okay, I mean, I could feel it, right? I mean, getting close to the game is like, I am so spent here and here. I'm not going to do these people any good. Hey, some preachers, I go 51 weeks a year. Well, good for you. Are you the Messiah or should we expect someone else? Seriously. If God himself takes a rest, who are we as sheep to think that rest is an unholy thing? We should. In fact, it's my contention. We don't do it enough. We need to rest some each day. We need to rest some each week. We need to rest some as just a rhythm of our lives. So important. And I can tell you it's important because the shepherd says specifically to the sheep. No, no, no. It's time to rest. Yeah, yeah, I know there are greener pastures, and I I know there's more still waters, but right now, I need you to rest. The next time you find yourself just so frantic and frazzled and worn out and stressed out, maybe the holiest thing you could do is go take a nap. God, as the good shepherd, designed his sheep to rest. And somehow we think that we might get more done if we just, you know, push into that sleep time that will be more effective. And actually, it's the furthest thing from the truth. You'll get less done. And it won't be as good. So work rest into your rhythm. Don't make the shepherd make you lie down. You'll get more done in 16 than you will in 24. You'll get more done in six than you will in seven. It's the principle of rest. He leads you. He makes you to lie down. And he leads you to the still waters. Ray Vanderland shared this in a perspective that I couldn't fully do as well as he does. So let's watch this together. Part of a shepherd lesson, I did want to look at one thing in the wilderness that will maybe surprise you a bit. Believe it or not, this is called wilderness, midbar, but it's also called green pastures. Now, when you take a westerner here the first time and you look at this, you find people say, well, I don't know that I can go there. Because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures, has been pictured as belly deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly deep alfalfa. And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture. And so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, 
but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance, so you can graze an entire hillside. And the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside slowly, grazing what's there. Now, you look at it from here and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning, I was sleeping out in the wilderness, and I remember waking up, watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my, re my feeling was, what are those rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year. Not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze. Like right now, you can feel it. Coming from the west off the Mediterranean, there's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity, condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here. And if you notice, right around the rocks, almost always next to the rocks, you get little tufts of green. Get one a moment. That's what we refer to as the green pastures. So the shepherd looks for a hillside. That's exactly what she was doing. Look at that flock across from us there. Just stunning. Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain. And they move that flock across the hillside, and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now, that changes the green pasture image a little bit, besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm going to plunk you down and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi, is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. In the desert, you learn, the shepherd will get you what you need for right now. Ten minutes from now, you trust the shepherd. Just enough. As, I, as you consider those thoughts, I read to you what Jesus said as part of telling us how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us... Today, our daily bread. Well, it really radically changed my understanding of the shepherd, of who he is and what his purpose is, to get us to belly deep alfalfa or to get us through today. He does that because he's good. And the shepherd understands that we need to be where we are today. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May we not forget that he leads us beside, through and to the green pastures 
And may that change your perspective on what green pastures really are. Second, you can trust him to protect. Back to Psalm chapter 23, 3 and 4. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd is going to his process of doing what he does, lead and feed and rest and mend the sheep. And to restore them for a purpose... You think about this. It's not just so that he can make the sheep sheep feel better about themselves, but he's got to lead them somewhere. You lead me, verse 3 says, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Paths of righteousness. Let me talk about that for just a second. The path is often used in Scripture as a way of living. The way you live, the the way of righteousness is never described as an easy road. Jesus described it as a a narrow, difficult road, hard to find. Few find it, and even fewer stay on it. See, part of the job of the shepherd is to prepare the sheep, and really with that video I was thinking about the paths that those sheep must walk. They're just wide enough. And he's got to lead them along those paths, so he needs them taken care of and cared for and well-fed and rested for the purpose of the journey through the paths of righteousness. The most dangerous thing that we can do when we come with our journey with God is come to the valleys and let our hearts be overwhelmed with fear. Fear is killer. Because we stop trusting Him who leads us. Fear leads us back to saying, just just give me control, God. Just Just let me do it. And when we consume ourselves with worry and fear and doubt, all of which stem from the same root, we're getting away from the shepherd. We have peace not because of where we are, but because of who we're with. Sometimes shepherds have to take sheep through hard paths and difficult, narrow, dangerous valleys to get them to where they need to be. And maybe you're right now in a deep, dark, dangerous, dry valley. And the most important thing that you can do is trust the shepherd. He leads you, he has you where you are to get you where he needs you to be. In the moments of the valleys, may we trust him. He's with us in the green pastures. He's with us on the difficult paths. And he's close to us in the dark valleys. In the shadow of death. And there's nothing wrong with the green pastures. And I'll always encourage you to be walking on the path of righteousness. And you will learn about God in those two areas. 
But there is no place like the valley. No place like that where you truly begin to get to know the shepherd. And to trust the shepherd. And to stop trusting in yourself. Several years ago, uh, myself and some other group of men, uh, all of which were from Northside, uh, followed Doug Wagner to his home sweet home, northern Minnesota, to the Boundary Waters. And uh, this was my, I can't remember if it was the second or third trip, but as we got out there, uh, we were, had had a hard journey. We had done several portages of narrow pathways. We had traveled some pretty good, you know, done some pretty good canoeing. And, you know, my, I mean, my guns are out and they're, they're showing and people are intimidated. But we get, we pull up, we gather our things, we set up our tents, we kind of gather around to talk about the day. And usually it's just how beautiful it is and, and it is beautiful and how peaceful it is. And it is peaceful. But Brian Middleton was with us that year. And Brian, if you don't know, Brian is a logical, rational kind of guy. And so Doug was asking us, what was your experience? What did you think about the day? And Brian says, it occurs to me that we could die out here. Thanks, Brian. What he said was true and rational. It wasn't necessarily inspiring at the moment. But we weren't worried. Because we were with Doug Wagner. Now that's one of the few times I'll ever say that, okay? But we were with Doug Wagner in a place he knew well, had been many times. He certainly knew the dangers. He certainly knew what we would face, potentially. And he led us to where we needed to be. And because we could trust him, we didn't have a great deal of anxiety because Doug was with us. Does that make sense? When you're on the hard things, when you're going on the, through the hard valleys or the hard paths of life, when you're, when you're near someone who cares about you and who knows the path well, you don't have near as much fear or anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, the New Testament equivalent of this says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have shepherd who gives us peace, not because of where we are or how great of sheep we are, but because of who he is, because we can trust him on the path or in the valley. And finally, the shepherd will do, he will prepare you. Verses 5 and 6, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If he's going to lead you to it, if you'll trust him, he will lead you through it. 
Where you are is preparing you for where you need to be. Your grind is for your good. What you're facing right now, the hard things that you're going through, will make you a better, stronger, more trusting sheep if you'll let it. He will lead you to where you need to be. Joseph learned that lesson when he was explaining to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50. He said um, they were worried about that he would retaliate, that he would try to pay them back for all the wrongs that they had caused in his life. Joseph was at a different place then. He didn't worry about retaliation because he saw a big, bigger picture. Read with me Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You mean it was God's will that it would be thrown into the pit? Well, I think it was specifically God's will, but God knew that he could use it. You mean it was God's will that he would be accused falsely and thrown into prison? I don't think it was God's will specifically, but God was going to use it. You think you mean it was God's will that, that, that everyone in the world would experience a, a huge famine and he would become responsible for that? I don't think it's specifically God's will, but he was going to use that for good. It's how the shepherd always works. He takes the hard things and uses them for holy purposes. May we not forget, and may we have the perspective that Joseph did. Let me talk just a second for, about your enemies. You face some enemies in your life. Big ones and small ones. As a sheep, your, your enemies are those who would prey upon you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. See, you think you have enemies, but you don't know the half of it. Because the enemies you're thinking of are flesh and blood. And Paul says, no, 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 there's a bigger thing going on here than you understand. He's working on the sheep. It's that old ancient serpent. And yet we don't fear because of who is within us and who is beside us. We do not worry. We do not fear neither the lion nor the wolf nor the ancient serpent. But... We also do not fear not just the big enemies, but the little enemies. This is a cool Psalm chapter 23 effect. Um, you'll advance the next slide. You anoint my head with oil. Now, this is kind of an interesting. I thought, I'm going to study that out because I never quite understood it. I always just had a picture of King David being anointed, and maybe it had something to do with that. Maybe it does, but there's actually a practice that shepherds do of pouring oil over the sheep. You see, sheep are subject not just to the big prey, but also to the little prey, like ticks and lice and fleas and mosquitoes. And you think, well, what's the big deal? We all face that. Well, the problem is that they see sheep as a perfect opportunity to lay their eggs. And so they will cover the ears, the nose, the mouth of the sheep and lay their eggs. And it's very painful because they get in under the skin and those little... Eggs become larvae and hatch and so forth. And a sheep will actually get irritated enough and rub its head all over trees and in the ground. And in some extreme cases, they will ram their head 
repeatedly again and again against a rock. They'll back up and they'll ram their head in just trying to get those bugs out of there. And all these are these tiny little pests that are bothering them. It's irritating. It's infuriating. And it can drive a sheep to hurt himself. You ever had fleas? You ever had mosquitoes? I'm not talking about physical ones now. You ever have stuff that makes you want to ram your head against a wall again and again and again and again because it's just so irritating and annoying? The shepherd would carefully take the head of the sheep and pour out the oil, as you see pictured here, and, and rub it over the mouth and the nose and the ears of the sheep. And what it did was two things. Number one, it coated the bugs that were already there and caused them to suffocate and die. And number two, it prevented new pests from attacking the sheep. He anointed my head with oil. Is talking about the little things that affect the sheep. Yeah, it's not so much the big things. It's the little things. What, what's our oil? Second Corinthians. Chapter 2, and then we'll wrap up. Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 1. This is so cool. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. How? He anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see, this morning, when Garrett Yeoman stepped into the waters and went under the water and was buried with Christ for the forgiveness of sins, he did not just receive the forgiveness of sins. He was given an anointing, the spirit. This is nothing magical or mystical. This is the promise of God. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But something that the Spirit does is he protects the ears and the mouth and the nose and the eyes of the little sheep from all of the pests that may harm it. We are anointed in Christ with the Spirit. And the Spirit does something that is even beyond the sheep's awareness. And he protects him and he protects him from the, the, the things that would dig down and grate inside and irritate and annoy and cause the sheep to just again and again and again and again hurt itself. As long as we follow the shepherd, we are his special anointed possession. His spirit not only protects us from the big enemies, but from the little ones as well. Let's finish with the takeaway, and hopefully you've got it by now. You've got to trust the shepherd and follow him. You've got to trust him in the good things, in the green pastures. You've got to trust him when, when, even when you just have that little bit for today, when God gives you a blessing for today. You've got to trust him in the hard things, which are Sometimes the path of righteousness. And you have to trust him in the difficult things, which are the valleys, the shadow of death. Because you're following the shepherd home to a place prepared for you. He's leading you back to the the heavenly sheep gate, the heavenly pen. Why should we trust him? Because the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. That's ultimately what the shepherd does. He shows his concern and his care, not just in the daily things, not in the good, the hard, and the difficult things, but in the most eternal things, and that he laid down his life for the sheep. 
If you're here tonight and you don't know the Good Shepherd because you haven't experienced the Lamb of God, if you have not been obedient to him and and do what he said to do, to believe, to trust, to obey, to be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, you can do that tonight. Or if you have done that, but you've allowed a lot of little things to get under your skin, or you've slipped back into the enemy's ways, return to the shepherd. He's good, and he loves you, and he just needs you to trust him. If you have a need, please come. As together we stand and sing.